You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Desob here. Excited to be joined by an NLC LA fellow from way back 2012. Charlotte Leahy is here. It's great to catch up with her. I haven't talked in years, but she's got many important topics to talk about. You'll definitely want to tune in and see what's on the agenda. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Yeah, Cheryl, 2012 class, you know, it's funny, the NLC application window closed a little while ago. What do you remember about the NLC application process from, from what would have been the end of 2011, I guess, going into 2012? Who was the person that told you about NLC and why did you decide to do it? Well, it's actually J.M. Lumitra who told me about it. Um, and I had I didn't know anything about it at the time, <laughs> but I thought it was really interesting because it kind of pulled together such an interesting mix of skills and interests to kind of you know bring that suite of services together around a leadership training program. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, I remember some very deep questions, some personality tests, which I'm a big fan of. So it was fun. For sure. Well, one of the things I appreciated about about you being in our class is bringing you know your perspective on. Uh, justice for animals and food justice issues. And that's still work that you're doing now. Give folks a scoop on, on the org that you work for. Yeah, so this is actually the same organization that I was working for back in 2012, but we've changed our name since then to Animal Outlook. We are a farmed animal advocacy organization. We focus on basically exposing and seeking justice for the systemic harms of industrial animal agriculture, um, which unfortunately is really one of the same as just animal agriculture um, here in the United States. And that includes undercover investigations, lawsuits, impact litigation mostly, and other legal advocacy, working on the supply side, getting corporations to move more toward vegan offerings and replace animal products with vegan offerings, and also on the farm side, doing the same. And um, on the demand side, really kind of a culture shift, um, moving people more toward vegan eating, but also kind of literacy around the values. And I think there's a lot of kind of broad concepts of fairness and justice and kind of institutional failures and successes of, you know, how does our law, how does our sense of ethics apply to these issues? Because it's a really very expansive area and an important topic. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, I followed with the org, just, just knowing you and knowing some of the folks in NLCLA who've been in this world as well is, is the power of those in, in investigations and they're usually pretty long lasting and, and really uh, kind of kind of stark and, and, and just really some shocking things sometimes when they come to light. I know you had a recent investigation that just wrapped to give folks a little bit update on what you'd like to share on that front. Yeah, so I mean, I'll just say quickly, investigations generally, I think, have such a massive impact potential. It really, frankly, is the thing that keeps me doing this kind of work. I think every time we do an investigation, um, they're just so powerful. It's really just our only window into what's actually happening. And it's, I think, worse and more um, entrenched in the system than I think people think. So our most recent investigation just came out. You're among the first person to hear about it. Um, so this is an investigation of a hatchery in North Carolina, and this is the broiler industry. So that's the type of birds that people eat, which is a separate and distinct industry from the egg industry. And these are birds that are going to be sent out to these, you know, long, they call them grow farms, but really think of them as sort of long warehouses where they're packing, you know, 20,000 birds into one building. But before that, they are hatched at these big facilities and they go through this processing 
through machinery that where they're kind of dumped onto a conveyor belt and you know kind of jostled around and, and moved into the process where they're trucked off to the next stop. And in this case, we investigated a facility owned by Case Farms, which is one of the top 15 chicken producers in the United States. They process about 200,000 birds there each day. And these are newly hatched chicks, obviously. And there's all sorts of just kind of entrenched animal cruelty and neglect. I mean, they're basically being you know, mutilated and mangled by this machinery. They're being thrown around. They're being um, gassed uh, to death if they don't appear to be potentially profitable if they're sick or injured. Sometimes they're not even gassed before they're put into what's called a macerator, which essentially grinds them up alive. Our argument is that this is cruel. You know, every state has an animal cruelty law, including North Carolina. And just because it's done by, you know, an industrial actor like this doesn't mean that, you know, they shouldn't be held accountable under the animal cruelty law. In fact, we believe it, it's more of a reason for them to really be held accountable under the law because this really is business as usual. They really are seeing these animals as objects and people care about animals. You know, this is not in line with how we as a society think we should be treating animals. So this is something we want to expose and get accountability for. And we'll talk more with Cheryl when we come back after the break about ways that you can support this action and support that accountability. Thanks for tuning in this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, sure. I'm curious, when investigations like this drop, are there specific calls to action that you ask folks to do? Is it pressuring a state house? In this case, it was, you know, in the East Coast, North Carolina. What do you hope folks tend to do when these things happen? The first and, and most important thing I think people need to understand is that this is an opportunity. Being able to see these investigations is an opportunity. So the number one thing that I think about is getting eyeballs on this video. It's very difficult to get. It's, you know, sort of very complicated <laughs> practically and legally to get these videos. And it's very hard personally on the investigators to get them. And it's because the system is set up to keep these sorts of things hidden. And in fact, there are laws, North Carolina being one of them until relatively recently, that prevent have criminalized um, the North Carolina's law was civil, but that's sort of beside the point, the obtaining of this kind of footage through the kinds of investigations that we do. So the, the result of these lawsuits has so far been mostly positive and allowed for essentially the argument is this is a First Amendment right. We have a right to you know, speech and to expression and to see what's going on in these facilities. So the fact that we have this opportunity to see this this kind of footage, even though it's difficult to watch, um, you know, it is something really important. And I think just watching it and sharing it and kind of, you know, kind of bearing witness, I think is a really important thing in and of itself. Now, of course, we also, you know, would use this as sort of a way to encourage people, inspire people, empower people to not eat animal products, to not eat chicken anymore if this is something that they don't agree with. And I, I think the vast majority of people, you know, after they see this, they, they certainly don't agree with it. Um, so we are very supportive of that and we try to be as, as helpful as possible around people shifting their diet toward vegan eating. And then we are also, you know, like I said, trying to get criminal accountability, which is not something at this stage people should you know, be banging down the doors literally or figuratively with the authorities. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the law is in place. It's just a question of enforcement. And that's where it often becomes a difficult challenge. 
Yeah, and I know these investigations are, are often tackling larger systems and bigger corporate actors, but you mentioned before we hopped on that you have podcasts that's talking too about the relationship that families might have with food and with, with animals. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and where folks can find it. Yeah, so I have an Animal Outlook vegan family podcast. Uh, I interview guests that have interesting reasons they come to the topic of vegan families, vegan parenting, and, and usually my guests are also very learned, learned <laughs> guests in their own professional spheres, um, but they, you know, kind of address the practical and the ethical or philosophical questions and, and challenges and sort of bigger, um, you know, goals as a parent in the context of how do you raise vegan children or if you're interested in raising vegan children or becoming more vegan as a family, what does that look like? How does that sort of integrate into your identity as you, you know, kind of build your family and your family traditions and, and how does, how do kids, my real interest in that is sort of how do kids process that? And my kids, you know, have really taught me a lot about how they see these issues and how they really feel kind of empowered to help animals. There's sort of that, you know, that kid superhero feeling. <laughs> so we talk about that. We talk about um, some of the, the, challenges, but also I think the kind of exciting and positive things that come out of all issues related to vegan kids and vegan families. Yeah. And then I know too, the last thing, folks who might want to be interested in supporting the cause or even getting more involved professionally, it sounds like you have a job opportunity for folks with your, your org. Can you share more about that? Yes. We actually just posted a um, listing for a director of farm transformations hmm. And that is essentially taking the work that we've laid the groundwork for over the last few years and been doing some, you know, quite a bit of activity around this space, but really taking it to the next level, having a director dedicated to moving animal farms and animal farmers into plant farming. And that's sort of an A to Z, help them with the financial and technical side of everything that they're doing and really, you know, get them out of what are often very exploitative situations for the farmer, you know, in addition, obviously, to the animals, but give them a much better path and sort of redirect some of their expertise and their energy away from animal farming and into something that's more sustainable, ideally more profitable, and of course, more humane because you're no longer exploiting animals in that system. So if there are people who are interested in that kind of thing and, and kind of the ability to, to model that out and then use it ultimately to scale it up and replicate it um, in the larger parts of the, of the food system, that is something we'd love to hear from you. You can go to animaloutlook.org and there's a job posting. It's also on Indeed. And you can see if, if that's something that would fit your, your interest and your skill set. That's great. Well, we'll definitely put that info as well in the description for the episode. Um, definitely spread the word as far and wide as you can. And thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Zag. Hope it was informative. Hope you learned a lot. Hope you'll take some action. And maybe some of that action, too, will be listening to past episodes. There's a whole bunch on our feed. All the places you, of course, would get your podcast: Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, all the places. Check them out. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.